Anyway, hey, I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm excited to uh, be able to share this Sunday with you on this uh, Valentine's Day. Um, one day, maybe we'll talk about the story of St. Valentine. It's an awesome and incredible story, and it's where we, um, the reason we celebrate the way we do is because it's all about love and the way he performed marriages. But hey, um, today, Valentine's Day, thank you for joining us. I know that the Valentine's date uh, things that maybe some of you had planned, like my wife and I, those are out the window tonight. So uh, we get to spend Valentine's Day with our kids. It's going to be awesome. And um, we'll have a family Valentine's Day together, like probably many of you are going to do tonight. But uh, thanks for tuning in on this Valentine's Day. And the snow. Can you believe it has been 10 years, they said, since we have received the amount of snow we're going to get. And uh, at least they say we're going to get. You just never quite know. And uh, We'll just go on from there. So, hey, um, we are in the middle of talking about this uh, idea of becoming a movement. That uh, God has called us to become a movement of people. He has called us to join His movement. Uh, God established a movement through His disciples many in, in the first century Christians uh, many years ago, th- a couple thousand years ago, and it just took off like crazy. Over half the civilized world within 300 years, around 300 years, became Christians. It was a, an incredible movement. So he is asking us today to join him in that movement that he's already started. And the way we're going to do that is by creating our own movements um, we have to become a movement to the people in our communities, and that's something that we at this church are trying to do, trying to be a part of. So here's what I want to ask. When you think of any movement throughout history, any movement, what is it that you imagine that those people are like? People of, mo- of a movement, how are they? Some movements you have in mind are probably happy people. Um, I can think of different si- situations and times in our nation's history even where it was happy people that started a movement. Some people were angry that started a movement. But here's what all people who start a movement have in common. The thing that they have in common, the thing that they all have at their core is that they are bold people. They are a bold people. So we're talking about today being a bold people. A few weeks ago we talked about being kingdom-minded seeing everything the way that God does. Then we talked about being joyful. And the common misconception, you'll remember, is there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is our outside influence. Joy is something that comes from within. Then we talked about um, being a sanctified people, something I'm very, very excited about. It's the cornerstone of our message on freedom. When we turn everything over to God, we are set free from that bondage by being sanctified, by dedicating ourselves entirely to Him. And then finally last week we talked about people of a movement and how they pray. Uh, They are praying people. Not only do we have the directive to pray, if you remember, ask and seek and knock, it's an imperative, it's a directive, it's something that we must do, but we also have to become desperate in our prayers to see God start this movement. So are we going to become a desperate people? If our church is going to become the movement that God has called us to, then the people in our church must also be bold people. And when I think of bold Christians 
in the Bible. There's several examples that come to mind. First, obviously, is through Acts. Imagine being in the middle of a mass of people, a mass of people who had just just recently, just a short time before you got there, were responsible for putting Jesus, whom you follow, to death. The very same Jesus that you are now proclaiming to the people who had just put him to death. You want to talk about being bold. These first generation Christians, they knew only boldness. Because here they were, doing what God had called them to do, in a place to, and to people who had just killed Jesus. And yet they remained. You know, it's not as if they didn't know what they were up against, but they pressed on anyway. So today we're going to read out of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And um, let, me, let me say this also. Uh, as we get into this, we are uh, streaming this live on Facebook, but also we are uh, trying a new platform. We've actually been testing it out for some time now. Uh, because there were some glitches in the beginning of this new platform. But if you want to go to lantanalive.church, some of you have already been using it, lantanalive.church, then it will take you to a place where you can be interactive with people from the church. Um, It also has the place where if you wanted to give, the link is there. If you had the place where you wanted to uh, see the notes for today's message, they're there, Uh, lantanalive.church. Um, or lantana.online.church. But just keep it simple, lantanalive.church. Go there and you can do that. Also, the notes are in the church's app if you want to go there. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 33. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now let me give you a little bit uh, of background, a little bit of what's going on in this moment. Just before this scripture... Peter and John had healed the lame man, if you remember the story, who was begging in front of the temple. And and so they healed this lame man, and everybody all of a sudden was interested in what was going on. And this is one of the reasons I believe in healing. Jesus, let me tell you, is still healing today. God is still touching people because there are uh, people who need to hear about Jesus, and the healing is not only for the person, but it is so that God can be glorified. And that's what happened right here. They had just healed this man, and and so they used that platform of everybody who had gathered around to tell them about Jesus and that he was raised from the dead and that it was the power of that man, Jesus, that they were able to heal the lame person. So this obviously stirred up the religious leaders, the Sadducees, heard them and began to interrogate them. And they were warning them not to talk about Jesus. Peter and John got with their friends, their others, and their prayer was, make us bold. See, now, so imagine that. We pick it up, Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 33. They had just healed the lame men. They were um, 
being interrogated by the Sadducees because after they healed them, all the crowds gathered and they started to say, hey, this is Jesus. It's the same Jesus that you crucified, but it's okay because he can lift you up. He can free you and he can heal you. The Sadducees called them in and they said, hey, don't you tell about Jesus anymore. So their prayer was, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I don't know about you, but I might consider saying, oh, God, I need your protection right now. God, they're coming for me. They're going to kill me. I don't know where to go. I'd be scared. And maybe that was part of their prayer, but Scripture records that they said, help us to be bold. Man, I love that. So we know that we should be bold. We see examples of others who are bold, uh, who are bold both in the Bible and in our lives. The question for us today is, what do bold people look like? And that's what we're going to talk about. So how do you know if you're bold? How, how is, how, what do bold people look like? The first is this, and verse 31 tells us, they are filled with power. And now listen, this is the power of God. We're not talking about manufactured power. We're not talking about power that we create by ourselves or create in the environment around us. Not the power that comes from the organ playing while the pastor speaks, while that would be awesome. Bruno and I talked about that. He's going to get on that someday. To have the, you know, and you've seen the, the church service and the organ and the band is going and, the, and it's awesome and the pastor's preaching and it's this, and you just feel like there's this boldness and the Holy Spirit's coming down. Now listen, Holy Spirit's coming down. He's making us bold, but it's not because the organ's playing. And it's not because of our environment. Whenever I was uh, playing sports, we would, football, we would gather together and we would pump each other up and we would get excited and we would really get energy going and we would be bold to be able to hit and to tackle. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in us. Just take a minute and let that sink in. The power of the Holy Spirit manifest in us. God's glory manifest in power in me. All right, let me, let me recap glory briefly. If you remember, we spent... Uh, a lot of last year talking about God's glory. But just to help you understand and remember, uh, in all of my research on glory, I came across a definition that I really liked out of the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. And, and this is what it says. Glory is the singular splendor of God and its consequence for mankind. The singular splendor of God and its consequence for mankind. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. And that word means weighty or um, heavy or important. The Greek word for glory is doxa or uh, doxon, and it, it means splendor or brightness or um, honor. These words are used to refer together in the different cultures to the uh, a person's influence or wealth to to describe a prominent person, their glory. Right? Those are the words that are used to describe God. It's the best way the Bible can describe God's most exalted condition. It means God's being is higher than the highest. Just to give you, I don't know if you're picking up what I'm laying down here. We're talking about being filled with the glory of God. So I want you to understand that when we're talking about glory, this is what God's glory is. 
If we try to define God's glory, it really it's difficult to define it because he's so magnificent. It, we do better to look at his attributes. And it might, it might be easier to say it like that. His characteristics, his holiness, his love, his grace are elements of his glory. It's in those things that his glory is revealed. All right, so wrap your mind around that, the, the weightiness of God's glory. And then I want to remind you about the word Shekinah. Shekinah. We've heard about Shekinah. We've talked about the Shekinah glory of God. That's the indwelling presence of God Almighty. It's His indwelling presence. And reference, it's not particularly in the Bible, the word Shekinah, but it, it is in historical writing. So references to the glory of God are often to particular historical manifestations of His presence, okay? Like the burning bush. It's a manifestation of his presence. And a lot of times, images of light and fire are associated with these occurrences. So in the rabbinical literature, rabbis, when they would write things, they would call that the Shekinah glory, the dwelling glory, uh, which refers to the presence of God, for instance, in the pillar of fire and the pillar of a cloud that led the Israelites in the Old Testament. The Shekinah glory is what was in the burning bush. That's the Shekinah glory of God. So if we want to look and find the glory of God, go all the way back to Genesis where the first explicit reference to his glory is found there, um, where he hovered over the water. You remember that? The presence of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters is, is likely the same cloud that led the Israelites. Pretty interesting, right? The smoking fire and flaming torch seen by Abraham should also be understood as the presence of God. The, the burning bush that we were just talking about anticipates his later presence on Mount Sinai. So bold people, this is the point, are full of the glory of God. Isn't it amazing? God's glory is manifest in us. If God's glory is manifest in us, then we can't help but be bold people. And we have to ask ourselves, if we're bold, if, or if we're not bold, is, go, is God's glory manifest or not in us? All right, so, so they prayed, right? The boldness didn't all of a sudden fall on them. Scripture says that, that, that they prayed. When they prayed, the building where they were began to shake. Now listen, that is God's glory. I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we just talked about prayer last week. Prayer is so important. It's, it's an imperative for us. It, he gave us a direction to pray. Uh, there's a story about Dwight Moody, uh, D.L. Moody. It, it illustrates the power of prayer. I just want to tell real quick. One day, Moody was on vacation in London. And it's, it's interesting that and this happens a lot of times, a visiting pastor, right, he's there, and the, the local pastor said, oh, would you please speak while you're here on Sunday? Bring the word. I want you to preach to my people. And he said, I don't want to do it, man. I don't, I'm on vacation. I just want to have a break. And the pastor was like, no, please, please, I just want you to speak. And so he, he agreed to speak. And he agreed to speak, and that day, Sunday, was Sunday morning, Sunday night. So he preached on Sunday morning, and he said it was all he could do to get through it. Because throughout the entire morning message, everybody was unresponsive. It was a struggle for him to preach. And then he remembered that he was going to have to do the same thing that night. He was dreading it. 
But little did he know that behind the scenes something was going on because there was an elderly woman that morning who went home, who had an invalid sister at home, and told her that Moody had been there. And the invalid sister, her her eyes lit up because she had been praying specifically for Moody to come to England. So the sister said, put lunch away. We're going to spend the rest of the afternoon praying for God's glory to fall. And that's what they did. They prayed. So that night, Moody got up. He wasn't looking forward to it. He didn't really want to do it. But he got up there to preach. And as he was preaching, he said something felt different, his testimony. It was alive with electricity and with the power of God. He said you could feel it in the air. So he, he, he preached with an unexplained liberty. And at the end of the service, he gave the invitation for people to be saved, to receive Jesus, to trust in Him for their, fa- for their uh, faith. And when He did, 500 people stood up. He thought maybe they misunderstood. He told them to sit back down. Now listen. He repeated it with more detail. Again, 500 people stood up because they wanted to trust Jesus Christ and put their faith in Him. And this was actually the beginning of what was one of the greatest revivals to ever hit England. And why did it happen? Because two sweet elderly ladies prayed. One of them bedridden. They said, we don't need more organized religion or activities. What we need is the power of God in this place. So what happens when his people are filled with his power? You know, there's examples throughout history and Scripture. Uh, Many of you have seen the work of God in this very church. Uh, You've seen lives changed. You've seen marriages healed. You've seen people restored and healed physically. We've seen relationships mended. Listen, if you're filled with His power, then people will be coming to Jesus. Do you know, listen to this. Hear me say this. It takes 40 years. Christians one year to make one convert. Did you know that on average? 40 Christians one year for one person to be saved. That's the statistic. How have we allowed ourselves to get there? To go from the place where just a few, a handful of people could present the word of God and thousands were saved. Scholars believe 8,000 people, estimate. 8,000 people. And now, in the year 2021, it takes us one year, 40 people, one year. I think we're missing the power of God. If we're filled with His power, with the glory of God, our worship services, our church finances, our family relationships, they're going to reflect that. Are we filled with His glory? Second thing is this. Bold people are of one accord. We're not talking about a Honda. (laughs) Just had to say it. Right? They talk about the disciples. They were so good because they were all in one accord. Rode together. Staff here, we do that sometimes. People, bold people are of one accord. Okay. One thing is that maybe we begin to think that we're too important. 
important. We, we feel indispensable, that we deserve special treatment, that we should get a special privilege or a special consideration or that we should be recognized. We begin to feel that our opinion matters the most. Just remember, God built his church. It wasn't us. It wasn't me. It wasn't anybody watching today. It wasn't anybody in this room. God has built this church. If we think we're responsible for it, we are mistaken. We shouldn't overestimate our importance. Someone wiser than me once said, the cemetery is full of people the world couldn't get along without. Let that sink in. We can't think we're too important. And think about how Jesus managed himself as a servant leader. Society teaches us leadership is a triangle. You got the leader on the top and then everybody else follows, right? Jesus did it opposite. He was on the bottom of that triangle. The other mistake we make is thinking we're not important at all. We have to be careful with an attitude that says it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. It doesn't matter if I'm in the nursery or not. It doesn't matter if I tithe or not. The church doesn't need my money. I want you to know that every person plays a role. The nursery can't go without people working it. The children's ministry needs people to volunteer. The youth ministry needs people to volunteer. We've got to have people who will faithfully give a tithe and an offering or else we can't continue to do what we do. We all make up the body and we're all important to its growth. We all have a part to play. Ask God what your part is. So the two things so far, I got a third one. The first is thinking we're too important. The third is thinking that we're not important at all. And the third is misplacing our importance. This is trying to be something God never intended you to be. The person who wants to sing a special in church, even if God hasn't gifted them that way. You know, you want to be careful trying to do something that God hasn't gifted you to do. If you're not gifted to teach or to preach, then don't try. If you're not gifted to work with children, then don't do it. If you are, then do it. You see? Don't misplace your important. We all have talents. God wants to partner with all of us to use those talents to build his kingdom because a bold people are in one accord, all working together, all with a similar energy, all wanting the same thing. And here's the third, spreading the message of Christ. Bold people. We're going to spread the message of Christ. We're going to win the lost. This is our church's purpose. Our church's vision is to love like Jesus so lives are changed, right? What is a changed life except receiving Jesus Christ? He is who changes lives. And that is us not misunderstanding our importance. It's not us who do it. Listen, we love people because God loves us. We love others. It's important for us to understand that bold people are spreading the message of Christ. Everybody is called to do that. We're all called to boldness. Now listen, some of us may not have the gift of gab. 
gab, you know, speaking, talking. Some of us don't have an outgoing personality. That doesn't matter. We are all called to be bold. And before you start looking for excuses in the Bible, make sure you avoid certain passages because you think you don't speak well? Look at Moses. You think the, the chips are stacked against you? Look at Ruth. You think the rules were made to trap you? Look at Daniel. Boldness in Christ is not a personality trait. Don't misunderstand it. There are certain people who are born with a personal boldness. It's just who they are. They walk into a room. They boldly step in. Boldness in Christ is not a personality trait. It's the willingness to spread the message of Jesus. To be confident in who He is and who He has made you to be. And I love this, Romans 8, 37. Who can be against us? Because we have been made more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We have to embrace boldness. So here's the deal. God has invited us to join His movement. God wants us to be a part with Him. And people of a movement are going to be bold. What will it start to take a movement? Boldness. <laughs> Here's the question. How many people have started a movement when they were comfortable with where they were? Just think about that through history. How many movements were started when somebody was comfortable? I haven't researched in depth, but I'm going to say probably none. Just the movements that I think about in my life and then ones throughout history that we've studied, they all started because somebody got uncomfortable. They stepped out of that comfort zone. They took on a boldness and began to follow their dream or um, whatever it was that they wanted. Listen, the band's going to come up here and worship team, they're going to sing a song to, to close us, to wrap us up today. But I guess my hope for you is that you hear what I'm saying and understand that if we're comfortable, it's going to be a hard to start a movement. We've got to step out on faith. We've got to rely on God. We've got to begin to trust in Him more. And we've got to dig into that boldness. And don't misunderstand it for a personality trait. I'm talking about a willingness to tell people about Jesus. Are we willing to tell people about Jesus? Because that's what He's called us to do. To love like Jesus so they can come to know Him. I love our vision statement. I love the way it's written. To love like Jesus so lives are changed. But maybe we should say to love like Jesus so they come to know him. That's what we want. That's our ultimate goal. That's our ultimate purpose. So will we be bold? Will you be bold with me? Begin to think about who you might be able to tell about Jesus. Begin to think about how you might uh, relay him to your neighbors. I had printed up for today. We can't give them out because you're not here. We have a bunch, though. Uh, you're invited cards. <laughs> 
Now listen, inviting somebody to church doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to come to know Jesus. But as a church body, we are as one trying to reach people for him. And so we have these little cards. They say you're invited. It's the size of a business card. gives the, the times that we have church activities, phone number, website, contact info. Uh, we want to help. So next time you're here, grab one of those cards or some of those cards, a handful of them. Begin to pass them out. Give them to your friends. Somebody wants to know about church. Oh, let me give you this invited card. Let me, you know, whatever we can do to reach people. God, this morning I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that you are calling us to join this movement. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to be bold. Because you have, you've called us. I believe you've called us to be bold. That's what you want from us. So help us to be that. Because it will be a train wreck if we try to be bold without being filled with your glory. So do it for us and do it in us, I pray. In Jesus' name.